Hi, everybody. Our normal host, Imogen Bakra, is out on vacation this week, so I'll be running the show. Welcome to Bondcast. As a reminder, this is a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm John Briggs, the Global Head of Desk Strategy. Today, I'm joined by our Global Market Specialists, Giles Gale, Jen Evruzzi, and Theo Chapsalis. Before getting into the discussion today, I wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And if you have any questions for our Bondcasters, please reach out either directly or email the team at bondcast at natwest.com. We're going to kick it off right away by hitting up Theo. We had the uh, Bank of England meeting. This is being recorded on Thursday, so note it's before payrolls, but after the Bank of England meeting. What's our takeaway, Theo? There's definitely been a much more exciting meeting that many of us, um, us included, uh, have been expecting, simply because we got a lot more information. Um, we got a lot of more information when it comes to uh, the nature of tightening to be delivered. We know that the marginal tool of tightening will be the bank rate. We know that the BOE intends to deliver, you know, some sort of uh, balance sheet reduction once we hit the 0.5% in the bank rate. And there is also an intention to deliver, to have active selling of QE, of, 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 of QE held bonds, which, which, which is big, after that rate reaches 1%. So it has been definitely quite an interesting meeting from that point of view. Uh, but it is, it, it is difficult to digest it, it not, not digest it, to dissect it and really um, understand what is the clear market trade. This is why what I find very interesting is a significant amount of intraday volatility. So even... After having the news, it was very difficult for the market to to understand what are we doing with that additional uh, uh, source of information. So, what are we? What is our market views? Have you changed your your opinion on you know the either the front end or further out the curve based on the information we got from the Bank of England? Yeah, I mean the we maintained the the, the short bias of the ten year part of the curve. Uh, we did have a tactical expression through a short in five year five year yield. This is something that we maintain. We close, however, uh, a three stands Sonia Stepanov, which is a slightly different expression. So get a better straight. The point is that there is no clear pushback by the BOE with regards to the, the amount of tightening that is priced at the front end of the curve. So to the extent that we don't have the pushback, then, well, more, more, more tightening can be priced in. And the other point is that I feel that uh, a lot of investors did have uh, steepeners and still have some form of steepeners. So I would like to reduce them, at least this type of steepener. And especially because in August, I don't want to run too much short data risk. So this is, this is the one. The other thing which is very interesting is my take out of all this is that because of the way of, of, of balance sheet reduction, also hikes will be more difficult to happen once we reach that 0.5% level. So what does it mean in terms of, of, of markets? Well, I do think that the market will, will, will try to, to, to see the BOE as being you know, an absorber or of, of, of volatility. And still, if they see that after a non-reinvestment of guilt, that there is you know, a significant sell-off in rates, then you just push back with regards to more tightening. So the, the ability of the bank rates to move substantially higher after we've reached 0.5%, is probably reduced given that some form of tightening will be delivered through this balance sheet reduction. Yeah, so that's what my last question is about, which is the the path of quantitative tightening. Let's say, you know, once we get to 50 basis points, the bank signaled. I mean, what is, if, if that happens, call it, you know, 2023, which looks like is probably, you know, in the window of when that might incur, maybe late 2022, but we'll see. 
you know, when they start doing that passive rundown, what kind of redemption sizes are we looking at? Is that going to have a big impact, do you think, or in the near years, is it pretty limited? I think it is. It, it depends on the year. And when we look at the financial year 2021-22, so the current financial year, we've got 63 billion of QE redemptions. This is this is a high number. We talk about total redemptions in the area of around 95 billion. So uh, having 63 that are part of QE is, is quite a significant number given that that is reinvested. In the next financial year, we will have only 9 billion of QE redemptions and 107 billion of you know, non-QE redemptions. So yes, it makes a difference in the next year. Now you can say that either you reinvest or you don't reinvest in the next financial year. Well, that's not a big issue. Anyway, what is an issue is is is, is that you will not have the support from from uh, QE uh, reinvestment. But where it does become an issue is if we look at years such as 2024, 2025, which are years when you would expect a, a reinvestment flow of QE holdings in the area of around 60-ish billion. So if that does not happen and we have guild redemptions that are north of 100 billion, well, I guess this is quite significant in terms of tightening. So it does matter, not necessarily for this financial year, but if this is delivered, it is definitely very hawkish for a few years later down the line. Got it. Okay, thanks. Well, on the subject of central banks, I'm gonna hit over towards the US next with uh, Jan Navruzzi. And actually, it's a got two questions. First is, um, you know, we had some comments from Clarita yesterday that looked like the market took a little bit hawkishly because we were heading lower in yield until, um, you know, he took that out. So any thoughts there? And then on the flip side, which is um, on the Treasury side, on the issuance side, you know, we know the Fed's can, coming up to near-term window on tapering it's, or announcing tapering at some point. We think we're going to get more information on that in September. But on the issuance side, what did, did we learn anything from the refunding? So two questions there, one on the monetary policy side, one on the uh, treasury issuance side. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's, let's Starting off with uh, with Clarita's comments, uh, there was definitely something to unpack there. It's undoubtedly on the, the hawkish side of, uh, of the rhetoric that we've been hearing. It kind of adds a little bit more towards the, you know, this buildup of, uh, of hawkish speeches that we've been hearing from uh, from FOMC members, and I think it underlines the the, the kind of the risk management aspect of uh, towards more persistent inflation and how their approach might change uh, with respect to the with respect to their new Fade framework. Uh, I mean, to me, all this points towards uh, more hawkish rhetoric in the in the upcoming months, the more focus on risk management, and uh, perhaps even more uh, push towards getting on with tapering to not necessarily. Uh, not tightening, but get towards the path of normalization in, in track. I mean, he, he was saying that he, he thinks by the end of 2022, we're going to have conditions ready for, for hikes. He expects some, one of those to kind of for us to start hiking uh, in, in early 2023, uh, which pretty much implies that he's, he's ready to go with, uh, with tapering. So um, I don't think, it, I think it adds a little bit more to the hawkish rhetoric. doesn't necessarily change the path that we uh, as a team have been seeing. But I think it just kind of reinforces that there's definitely more uh, inflation uncertainty and that the FOMC members are, are, are acknowledging that as well. Um, on, the, on, on the refunding, I guess the August one was not extremely, uh, extremely uh, sort of insightful in the sense that we didn't get any changes uh, as expected, as we expected to. Uh, they pretty much said that they're going to keep the coupon sizes uh, unchanged. However, now November is in play. 
that has been our base case so far too. We did expect for cuts to be announced in uh, in November. Uh, the Treasury didn't really give any uh, any details on which tenors will be cut, uh, but uh, the Treasury Borrowing Advisory Committee uh, they discussed a little bit, and the recommendation was more for for the seven year and the and the twenty year part. Our view was that they're going to overweight the the uh, the seven year and the ten year, just given the uh, because of the sheer size that they brought back into the market with the whole pandemic response and uh, and just a little bit on that. Kind of, we understand why the concern, the concerns about the twenty-year being there. Just yeah, since they since they brought the line, uh, it has underperformed. It has underperformed compared to on like a, on a any fly structure, asset swap structure. But uh, uh, you know, if if market at this point becomes convinced that if they reduce uh, the issuance size uh, of the twenties can help with the, the the digestion problems, then it probably can. So at this point. Uh, it, pro it seems like for them to disappoint would be to not actually uh, overweight the, uh, sorry, underweight the, the 20s of it going forward in issuance. Otherwise, nothing too surprising. We're going to see probably a little bit more in, uh, in November. Sorry, that's going to be when the kind of the real changes start happening. Um, from, from Bill's side, I thought it was interesting that now they're going to discontinue the six weeks, uh, the cash management bills. Um, of course, there's a lot of uncertainties now that we're in the debt ceiling period. So uh, all these changes that uh, the, the, uh, whatever they have to adapt to the fiscal environment, they're going to have to do it with the uh, with in bill form, and namely the cash management bills are uh, you know, finely tuned for that purpose. The six weeks are gone after mid-August. The seventeen-week ones continue uh, until at least through October. So we should see a lot of variations there, but all sorts of forecasts are going to be very short-term in nature, anyways. Okay, so you took me to the my second question for you, which is. Debt ceiling. Um, do we see that as a risk, or we think it still think it's going to be okay? Our view has been that uh, it, it is a risk in the sense that at some point, as we get closer to September, we might see uh, some re repricing of uh, front end instruments around uh, what we expect it to be towards end of October, when we think the if nothing get uh, if the debt ceiling didn't get suspended or uh, or increased, then uh, we, we expect for the treasury to technically run out of cash about late October. So uh, we would we would think that about that, uh, towards that point of the curve, we would see some like a little hump formation where uh, real money type of institutional investors would want to stay away if there's any risk of you know technical defaults, even though it's a very, very tail risk. And we do not expect uh, you know the Congress to let that happen. Our base cases for uh, for the debt ceiling to issues to get resolved after the August recess in September, but uh, markets could start pricing that in, particularly as we go past the uh, as we go past the summer lull and you know, people start reevaluating their uh, portfolio holdings uh, as the cash runs down. Okay, cool. All right, Giles, I've been saving this for you. Uh, it's a question that we got in, and I'm glad I'm asking you and not having to answer it myself, which is. Um, what do you think the primary factor to the recent move lower in global bond yields is? Okay, um, I guess that the answer for me is just fear. Um, you know, I think that you know there's fear of that, that there's kind of macro fear. There, you know, there's concerns about um, COVID. You know, that, I mean, we've been through a little bit earlier, perhaps in in the UK and uh, and, and in Europe around the Delta variant. Uh, you know, um, compared to other 
developed markets and there's concern about that escaping to the US to, 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 to Asia, which has been largely saved um, from all of these problems. So, you know, there's uncertainty surrounding all of that. There's uncertainty surrounding, you know, the end of furlough, the end of particular uh, things like debt moratoria and so on. Um, you know, so I think that that is, you know, if you're looking for the fundamental kind of story that's driving it, uh, or that sparked it, perhaps, then then that's what no, that's that's the fear. But then there's fear, which is just market fear, which is liquidity is low. Um, no, it seems like you know every summer there seems to be you know some positions that are sought out and then and, and then pressured, and actually that seems like it's you know, the, the whole process has just happened, perhaps earlier in the summer than you might otherwise have expected um, in, a, in a normal year. And, you know, perhaps in, in, in a more broad based kind of way um, as well. So, so I think that that is the, the ultimate answer. It's uh, different dimensions of fear. I will just say one other thing, though. I think that there is, there's also potentially a kind of rebalancing sort of argument here where, you know, risk assets have been doing really well. Um, yeah, earlier in the year we were talking about perhaps an argument that um, you know that people ought to be investing less in fixed income because you know the the correlations didn't look like they suggested you should have such a high allocation to fixed income in diversified portfolios. But after we had that big sell off in the first part of the year, you know maybe maybe people were looking at that and going, yeah, maybe we can reload on this and you know, protect some of our of our gains in, in in risk assets in a kind of macro in a macro fashion. Um, so you know maybe maybe that's been part part of this kind of you know, this this rebalance and the squeeze dynamic that we've seen um, so strongly over the last month. Well, it's interesting because you had a pretty prescient call in late June, early July, which was to you know hibernate your bearish views over the summer because you have you know sense that there was a lot of um, potential, maybe not perhaps for this much of a squeeze, but you know potential for uh, lack of uh, spur for. European yields to go higher. Where are you now on your hybriding bearishness? Are you still in a cave or are you starting to see some sunshine? I think you've been a little bit generous. I, no, I don't think I ever said, you know, take it off. Just, uh, no, we, we, you know, we were a little less aggressive, let's say. Uh, no. Going into to, to July, I think we were, you know, we were expecting lower volatility. Um, obviously that hasn't happened. Thought that August might be you know, might might be the time to to get bearish again. I mean, you know, that that may well turn out to be to, to be true, but you know, largely just because the levels have reset so so, so dramatically. Listen, um, where am I? I don't I don't think that now is the right time to uh, to to be too aggressive about anything, just because you know, it really does seem like the markets are still in this you know, very sort of technically, you know, I mean, there's some kind of position, positions seem to matter more than anything. And so, you know, someone like me who, and I can have a strong macro view and, you know, doesn't really matter potentially at the minute. So, um, so I would say, you know, I'm still in the cave. Okay. What about periphery? Last question there. Anything new on, on spreads? Well, so listen, I mean, you know, I think that, yeah, you know, I, th I think that actually of, of, of all the 
various markets in, in, in Europe that you can maybe um, spreads are probably the most interesting. You know, um, you know, we've had this kind of macro squeeze, which is in a way left not all that many obvious dislocations and curves. I mean, we've had some interesting things going on in asset swap spreads. At the very long end, there's been some stress at, uh, in, in, in ultra longs. But I think that the most interesting things are the way that we haven't seen spreads respond in the way that you normally would have expected in such a strong rally in, in rates overall. I mean, we've had lots and lots of discussions over the last month with last months with investors about the risks to, 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 to spreads at these sort of relatively tight levels. And one that always comes up is, you know, if you're right about the bearish view, you know, surely higher rates makes you more bearish on, on spreads as well. Well, you know, conversely, lower rates should be good news for spreads. I mean, you know, it makes debt sustainability better. It means you know, there should be more yield grab and so on. And actually, I think you know, everything stacks up for, as, as a story for spreads at the minute. I mean, you know, politics, uh, are really nowhere on the risk radar at the minute in, in Europe. You've got really, really supportive um, sort of background flows you know, with, uh, with quantitative easing. Everyone seems to expect an extension to, to PPP. Um, and yeah, and, and rates are just that much lower. So, so I think, and, and, and actually just the last point, there's not a lot of evidence, I think, right at the minute that positioning is all that much of a problem in spreads either. Um, so I think you've got a pretty strong story for uh, periphery spreads over the next month or six weeks. Um, you know, certainly, I think that that's the one position I would have on in you know, with a fair degree of confidence at the moment. Great. All right. Well, that's it for this week. We got the employment report, uh, which is coming out after this uh, recording. So we'll see how that um, does for this ever push lower in yield that seems to be happening in August. Um, but if you like today's episode, please hit the like button to show your appreciation and click subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And just a reminder, if you'd like to pose a question to any of us, or particularly Giles, please reach out to us at bondcast at natwest.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.